This episode is brought to you by Skyline Homes. Skyline Homes has a unique approach to land development. Their home construction begins with a disciplined approach to evaluating markets, acquiring land, and creating value through the planning process. Pride and personal involvement in the work that they perform result in superior quality and service. This philosophy has distinguished them from the crowd of other developers in this ever-evolving business. To find out more, visit skylinehomesdevelopment.com. That's skylinehomesdevelopment.com. Hey there, this is Hannah McGee, and welcome to the iHeart2C podcast. Join my husband, John, and me as we talk about all the happenings in our favorite place, Canyon County. We'll be highlighting businesses, organizations, and just plain old people that make this such a great place to live. If you're tired of all the negative on the news and social media and need some inspiration, you have come to the right place. Canyon County is one of the fastest growing areas in the country. It's a great place to live, and it's where we're raising our family. We're going to take a few minutes each week to talk about the place we call home, the good folks, and the great happenings going on in Caldwell, Nampa, and beyond. So join us here at the iHeart2C podcast. Okay, well, thank you everyone for joining us again. I'm Hannah McGee, and this is John McGee uh, with iHeart2C Podcast. And we are um, in a series now um, all about education in Canyon County. And we have the honor of having one of our good friends, uh, Jared Slyker, who is a math teacher for Syringa uh, Middle School in Caldwell. And um, he is going to be talking to us about a very unique way that he teaches math and helps these kids um, really understand math in a different way and helps it really stick. Because as I know, I remember math was kind of my a subject I enjoyed, but it's not really f- very fun for most kids to go through math, it sounds like. So welcome, Jared. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a cool opportunity to talk about uh, the things that are happening in my classroom. Um, And Hannah, you you hit the nail on the head for the fight that we fight almost on a daily basis in, especially when you, when you talk to parents at like a parent teacher conference, Mm -hmm. we hear it all the time where the first thing that will happen when the parent sits down is they'll say, I have no idea how to help them. Yeah. Because I was terrible at math. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what's going on. And I always reply, well, that's because you didn't have me as a math teacher when sure. you were younger. So true. And uh, they teach, you know, the, the parents will say things like, well, we we don't have any idea what's going on. This this new math that you guys are teaching them, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Hmm. And then they'll follow it up with what they learned didn't work either. Right. <laughs> sure. And so Nothing it just begs the question, well, what is going to work? Yeah. And shouldn't we be continually trying new things until we find something that does work? Because, you know, it, you don't have to go very far in a conversation with most people till they land on a horrible math story from their childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I, when I came back to teaching this time um, in 2012, I just wanted something different. And so I was teaching middle school math again. And there was one student who every time I would ask him to sit down, he would just start squirming around in his chair. Mm -hmm. And so this, this all started because of that student, because I was like, you know what, you, you just look like it's 
painful to be sitting still. So why don't you, and I made a deal with him as he could walk around the back of the room as long as he was paying attention. And so I was up at the board teaching the way I would had always been teaching, but I'm watching this kid walk back and forth like a puma mm. stalking his prey across the back and forth across the room. And every time I would ask a question, he would just fire out the answer. Wow. Wasn't writing anything down, mm. but was just processing it as just pacing back and forth. And I started thinking, what, what is going on with that kid? And, mm. uh, what I've learned over the years is that when these kids sit down, it's like there's a giant off button and they sit on it mm. and their brains turn off and they're sitting down. And if you just walk up and down the halls of my class, my school, I look into these other classrooms and you see kids sitting down. And the first thing they do when they sit down is they slump and then they're, they lean back and anybody that knows anything about engagement in a conversation would know that leaning back and slumping means you're not engaged in the conversation or any of the learning that's going on. Mm. And so I was watching that kid and it happened every day. He would just be, but just totally dialed in. And then I thought, well, I'm going to see if I can get all my kids standing. And so I, uh, went to my custodian and I said, I want to see if I can get my tables lifted up. And so we cut PVC pipes mm. and then slid them on like sleeves on top uh, and put our tables into these sleeves and got them all to be standing desks. And we just got rid of the chairs and wow. figured we'd go for it. And it completely revolutionized my classroom, which was the first big change that happened in my room was we went to standing desks and we looked like we were, straight out of the ghetto with <laughs> white PVC pipes holding up our tables and people would come in and be like, what is going on? And I'm like, promise, They're the tables. look what's happening. Cause yeah. it's amazing. And all these kids were just engaged in what was happening. And then I saw a little blurb on TV. Um, it was probably TV might've been the internet then, but I saw a classroom where a teacher was having her students work up at the boards at standing at whiteboards. And I thought, well, that's crazy because she was standing in the middle of the room watching a group of kids work and was just fixing their work with a laser pointer. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she's affecting change and she sees the thinking happening. And so I called my boss, who is awesome because he says yes to a lot of my crazy ideas, which like, you know, Hey, can I go buy a bunch of PVC pipes and make my desk as a standing desk? Sure. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Can I run down to home Depot and buy a bunch of shower board and make a bunch of whiteboards all the way around my room? Sure. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. So the wow. next Monday I had my whole room ringed with shower board from home Depot. And, uh, we just started at our standing desks and then we would go to the boards to work out the problems. And what ends up happening is when, when you look into a classroom where all the kids are sitting at their desks and they're working on their math, as a teacher, the only thinking I can see happening is if I'm standing right behind a kid watching them or right next to them watching them do their paper, mm -hmm. but I have no idea what's happening on the other side of the room because I can't see their work. They're yeah. just working at their desks. And even if they look like they're on task they might be 
writing a note to their friend. But I, I don't know that because I can't see what's happening on their desk. Mm -hmm. And immediately it was, it was such a revelation mm -hmm. to be able to see everybody's work. That's wow. cool. And so back then I had every student had a three foot section and they were all working. And one of the, the there's arguments that people make all the time when, when you see, when they think about what's happening and kids get a little protective of their work, like, well, he's copying off me. Mm -hmm. Well, so yes, he might be, but if he was sitting at his desk, he might not be doing anything. So at least now he's doing something. Yeah. Sure. And what, what ends up happening is these students who would be disengaged and leaning back and, and not doing anything. Well, now if they're not working, it's so obvious to everybody around them because their board is blank mm. that there's this, I don't want my board to be blank. I better figure it out. And so they start looking around the room mm. and trying to figure out, you know, well, who am I going to copy off of? Like, well, to be able to figure out which board you should copy off of, maybe you've actually had to process which board's doing it right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden your brain's thinking mm -hmm. instead of just sitting there. And all this really started to just take off in my room and people would come into my room. Uh, my administrators would come in and they, they would, their minds, like the amount of engaged students in my room versus what happens in other classrooms you don't walk into classrooms very often and find 100% engagement or all but one kid is engaged in what's working, what's yeah. happening. But that happens routinely in a classroom that's set up like this, wow. where somebody would walk in and they look around and you have to look for a kid that's not working. Like mm. I, I don't like everybody's working, everybody's on task. And, and you don't have to question whether or not they're on task because you can see it. And the the group think that happens and the learning you know we as a classroom are just crushing content because we're all working together in the synergy of you know everybody's if one person in the room gets it right it and and the process happens it just spreads like wildfire around sure. the room so if i give them a really tough problem that they got to really grind on they'll all be working on it and all of a sudden it'll just like dee -dee 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 around the room and everybody's got it. So cool. And, and yeah, maybe one kid is the one that got us over the edge, but then everybody else, it just snaps into place for all of them. Wow. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Beautiful. And Jared, I know, I know this, it's not just you coming up with this crazy idea and, and making it work. I know this has been validated and you have, people that you talk to across the country um, about this method and about what you're doing and, and fine tuning it. Tell us a little bit about, yeah. about that. So I have always, since I started teaching this way, I have always felt like this is the way math should be taught. And I would have people come into my room who had never seen it before. And they would say things like, man, if math was taught this way, I wouldn't have struggled. And I kept thinking, oh, yeah. that's what I'm waiting to hear is people say something like that, right? Instead of the parents who are saying, I never got it. So I've always felt like this was the, the way math should be taught. And um, when we had our COVID shutdown one day, I was talking to one of my friends that teaches down in California. 
and I was talking to him about wanting to present this concept at conferences and go present it to other teachers. Cause I feel like all they have to do is trust the process. And if they did this, they would never teach a different way again. And I kept telling him, I think I just really feel like I should be able to do this. And he says to me, he goes, well, don't you know who Peter Lildahl is? And I was like, no, I never heard of him. So two phone calls later and one Zoom call, I'm on the phone with, with Peter Lildahl, who is a researcher from Vancouver, Canada, British Columbia. And he was just about to publish his book. Everything, it was, it was, it had gone to press, but hadn't come out yet. And I've never read a book about teaching where I've yelled more amens and all these things that I've been believing for 10 years are in his book. And he's been researching it for as long as I've been trying it in my little classroom wow. in Caldwell. He's been researching it across Canada and running it in hundreds and hundreds of classrooms. And they have all these data points that are just validating everything. And I'm like, woohoo! I finally have validation for mm -hmm. what I've really felt like worked, but I didn't know why it worked. And and he did all that research. And his book is, uh, it's called. Building the Thinking Classroom. And it is, it's a life-changing book for me as a math educator. And every time I put that book into somebody's hands at, that is a math teacher, they just immediately when they've processed it, flip the script and they jump into what we're doing. And um, there's a, my daughter's math teacher out in Middleton. He, I talked to him for about 20 minutes one day on his prep, handed him the book. And that was on a Friday afternoon. And the Monday morning, Monday after school, my daughter came home and she said, great. Now <laughs> we don't ever get to sit down on my math class and you've ruined my math experience Thanks, forever. And I thought, wait a minute, I didn't ruin it. Now it's, it's, and so he, he just went straight and flipped and and then they wow. they don't they've never gone back to working the same way again and that just this 20 minute conversation with them about you know how math should how we really feel like it should function mm -hmm. but wow it was really cool to have the validation and the thing you know if if anybody is skeptical or when teachers who've taught math for a long time the way that they you know, it's the, anybody that's been teaching math, I'm going to just make a really broad generalization right here, but any, a lot of people who've been teaching math for a long time teach math the way that they were taught. Mm -hmm. And math isn't something that should change because it's been the same for so long. Sure. Right. Um, and I don't, I just don't believe that that's the way education should be. If we can change something, we shouldn't keep it the same just because, we don't know why we're keeping it the same. Mm -hmm. uh, do I have enough time to tell a story? Yes, Absolutely. Please. I do. So um, before I met my wife, I was dating a girl named Jamie. And we were going to cook a ham for Easter. I think it was Easter. And um, so we're getting ready to cook this ham. We get ready to throw it in the pan. And she takes that, gets a knife out and chops off the two ends of the ham and then puts it in the 
in the pan. And I'm like, why, why did you chop the end, the perfectly good ends off of this ham before you put it in the pan? And she said, I, I don't know. It's that's the way my mom does it. Mm. So I'm like, all right, let's call mom. So we get on the phone with mom. Hey mom, why do you, why do you cut the ends off of the pan, the ham before you put it in the oven? I don't know. That's the way my mom did. Mm. Grandma happens to still be alive. So we get grandma on the phone. <laughs> We're like, grandma, why do you chop the ends off of the ham before you put it in the oven? And she says, well, cause my pan's not big enough to hold the, the ham. Mm. So I have to cut the ends off. <laughs> yeah. And, and I really feel, I really feel like that's what happens in education a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things just get perpetuated because we don't know any different and we're afraid to be that one person that changes. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if it's luckily or just fortunately, I've never been afraid to fail in this kind of thing. Like I will take risks to, and find out what happens. I'll jump off the cliff and figure out what happens on the way down. And, mm-hmm. and this style of teaching, is it for every teacher? Probably not. I mean, there's, I can hundred percent guarantee you that substitutes that come into my classroom and aren't prepared mentally for 30 kids standing and being able to just move around and, and be up at whiteboard it's a really different experience than coming in, watching kids do a worksheet and sitting down and drinking your coffee and calling it a day. And I think that there's some math teachers that turning your back on half the room, half the time is way too nerve wracking to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And, and you do, you do end up turning your back, but you mean, you learn little tricks, but it's not, I, I think everybody could succeed at this. But I think it would be very difficult for some. Um, I have a friend that another friend that teaches out in Middleton who I was explaining this method to, and he's just shaking his head the whole time <laughs> I was talking to him. Wow. And I kept saying, What's wrong? And he said, I can't handle noise in my classroom. Like, I don't like noise. And then I thought, You should not teach this way because right. yeah. it is chaos, noise volume wise. But if you walk around with a microphone and you record all the things that are happening, it's 90% of it is awesome math conversations. Yeah. And, but they just have to be okay to be talking about it because they're, you know, they're learning and, and, you know, kids can talk when they learn and they're processing things and bouncing ideas off of each other. And, you know, yes, sometimes they're yelling at a kid across the room because they're eighth graders, yeah. right? I mean, we were eighth graders once, but yeah, it's definitely a different environment in the classroom when you're teaching this way versus, you know, the old school come in, sit down, sit in your rows, be quiet, do your job. That's definitely not what happens here. And um, yeah, so it's, sure. it's, it's very different. Yeah. That's so cool. Have you also then, since you've been teaching math for so long, have you seen either an increase uh, of grades, you know, increasing or... Um, you know, maybe a kid since you teach eighth grade coming from, you know, seventh grade and really struggling and seeing the difference and the change in these kids and really understanding and feeling like they're ready for high school. Have you seen those kind of changes? The change that I see most often is a willingness to attack a problem. Mm. And, 
and not just freeze up and immediately raise your hand and say that you don't know how to do it. Uh, That's the most, I'd say that the two most common responses to a challenging problem in a traditional math class is one, you raise your hand and say that you don't know how to do it before you've really engaged in thinking Mm -hmm. about it. Or two, you just stop and you just wait because Mm -hmm. usually if I wait it out, the teacher will give us the answer. Mm -hmm. And since everything's happening, everything that you're doing is public knowledge, they don't wait as often. And I really believe the whiteboards help with something else that's not, um, that people don't really think about, which is in Lil Dahl's book, he calls them um, non-permanent vertical surfaces, NPVS. And he believes in his research, it's really important because he's tried it on, he's done, um, he compared the differences between um, like poster boards or um, those tablets, the big tablets where you can just tear off giant sheets Mm -hmm. of paper. He's tested the difference between that and having kids work at a whiteboard. And the fact that it's permanent makes kids way less likely to attack a problem because they don't want what they've written to be permanent. Interesting. As if it's on a whiteboard, if I screw it up, I can just wipe it off really quick and change it. Mm -hmm. And so kids are... I feel when I see one of the big changes I see Han is, is their willingness to attack a problem and be wrong because how many times have we attacked problems as, as adults and been wrong, mm-hmm. but now we've made progress and we've learned something. So now, now we've got a, we can do a, how often do we ever get things right on the first time in the first mm-hmm. try? Right? Um, not me. I certainly don't. And so, being able to not be afraid to make that first attempt and then learn from it. That's the, one of the biggest changes I see is, is that willingness to try. And if, if they head up to high school math with at least not being afraid of math, um, I used to call my kids the math abused because they math hasn't been kind to a lot of these students. And so what do we do? Well, we give them an extra math class then. Oh, great. Like I suck at math and now I get to do it twice. <laughs> yeah. And, punished. Uh, yeah. Right. So um, what I want them to come away with is just get, get that fear out of there and just be willing to attack yeah. a problem. And I see that whether it's quantifiable or not, that's what I always mm-hmm. struggled with until I was reading Lil Doll's book and he has the research to back it up. Mm-hmm. I would say my test scores are as eighth grade are pretty similar to all the other eighth grade teachers. I would have loved to be able to tell you that my test scores rocket through the roof. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's an, that in the, in the years, there hasn't been an, enough of a gain for me to hang my hat on that. But what I will tell you is that their attitudes toward math mm-hmm. are completely different. And we've done some anecdotal research to say, you know, what was your attitude toward math on a one to 10, blah, 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 when you come in and then when you leave and, what's your willingness to try this kind of a problem when you come in and then ask them that same thing when they leave. And that's where the growth is. Happening. Sure. That's great. Awesome. Great. What a story. That's mm-hmm. it's, it's very cool what you're doing there, Jared. And I've, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. I, I, 
I wish I could go back in time, yeah. right? Especially in like the, that transition from general math to pre-algebra type mm-hmm. of right. stuff where you're, you know, it does become more challenging. It does become more difficult, right? And just, and just do it using your method, right? It just makes so much, it makes so much sense. Sure does. Well, and, and so I was talking to, uh, I was reading um, an article about, oh no, oh, it was on Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. I was watching Shark Tank the other day and a guy was telling his story. He's one of these big billionaires now, but he said when he, he dropped out of Stanford and went and worked at Yahoo and he was talking about the work environment at Yahoo and where all the rooms where everybody worked, they were whiteboard from floor to ceiling and, and they would just throw ideas up on the whiteboard. And if somebody had a good idea, they'd call everybody over to the whiteboard and they'd explain what they were doing. And then somebody else would take off to the other side of the room and they'd be writing something on the whiteboard and everybody would rush over there. And I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, that's my classroom. That's right. awesome. And more and more companies don't ask you to work on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, until COVID happened, you know, groupthink was a big deal in in conference rooms and think now it's, you know, they do multiple Zoom calls, but you're hardly ever asked to work on your own anymore. And you work in groups and you have to function within a group. And well, wh- why not learn math that way too? And and so the, the next evolution that I haven't talked about yet was, came from Lildahl's book. I had every kid working at their own spot on the boards and working on their own with their own pen. And he advocates groups of three and he has a lot of data to back up why groups of three. I won't go into that now because I don't want to spoil the book, but (laughs) groups of three and that they're random. And um, he goes so far as to call it visibly random groups. We've been as coaches or teachers, when we go to split up groups, we know that, you know, Johnny shouldn't go in the group with Sally because they fight when they're with each other. And, and then Johnny and Tom shouldn't be in the same group because all they do is mess around when they're in the same group. Okay. So we're doing random groups and then you split them up into their groups and they look around and going, this isn't random. <laughs> I, I, I'm never with that person. And I'm always with this person. And I've got one smart group in every, you know, one smart kid in every group, one struggling kid in every, and they're not random and the kids know it. Right. What, what's blown my mind is since I've started to go to, so every day when the kids come into my room, the, on the whiteboard, there's a website that has all their first names and it randomly assigns them into groups. And I wait till they're on their way in. A kid will tap the board, tap, 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 like five times. I'll tell them, pick a number between one and 10, and they'll hit it that many times. And it randomizes the groups. Mm. And then they go stand in their groups. I haven't controlled any of it. And it's a little nerve wracking because sometimes the three loudest boys will all end up in the same group. You're like, oh, man. But it's only for a day. It's only for a period. It's for 50 minutes. And they have a blast when they're together. Right. But then the next day they might not be in the same group. Mm -hmm. And one of the really interesting things that it's done is the, the, the tolerance level for everybody for who's in their group has increased tenfold. And if the whole school, I believe would go into visibly random groups, our tolerance for everybody would just increase because 
when you, you know, John, I, I know you in sports, right? And whenever you got put into a team, if you were always the last guy picked probably. And, and when then you got put onto <laughs> right. a team, everybody on your team was like, oh my gosh, we have that McGee guy on our team. Right. right? <laughs> and, and, and it was just the, the walk of shame over the group. I'm sorry. I have to be in your group. <laughs> and that happens on a daily basis sure. in 90% of the classrooms yeah. and sports teams around the country. Well, visibly random teams would change that because you you know that nobody's controlling it. And mm-hmm. so then you in your brain think, I've only got to deal with this person or I get to deal. Like if you're one of the kids that struggle, you're like, sweet, I've got her in my group today. I don't have to do anything, right? I'm, she's going to carry the group. But then tomorrow you might be the smartest one in your group. And you're like, oh, I wish I'd have paid attention yesterday. And so mm. the more we've been doing this, Kids like never complain about who's in their group ever. They just go to their boards and off they go. That's great. Which, I mean, that was a big surprise to me. And, and in his book, he's like, you just have to trust it, trust that Mm -hmm. it's going to work. And in a month you'll never go back. And it's true. It's the, the, the ability or the, I guess, willing, the willingness for them to work with people who they might not want to work with is awesome and all you got to do is project that 10 years ahead when they're and i tell them this all the time like hey guess what you're going to be in work situations with people you might not want to work with or you're going to be supervising people who you might go i i would never but you've got to work with them and that's life and you have to have that life skill so not only are we learning math here but we're learning how interpersonal skills skills Mm -hmm. of working with people who you know you, you might not choose if we were able to choose our own teams. So that I would say getting them up to whiteboards, getting them standing all the time, and then visibly random groups have been the three biggest changes to happen in my classroom. And they're what's catapulting us forward as far as a really cool classroom to be a part of. That's so cool. I love that, Jared. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So what would be the best way if if any listeners are teachers or want to see if they can implement this in their classroom or even suggest it to their kids math teacher? What's the best way to go about doing that? Um, uh, well, or that you recommend timely. When is this going to post? Um, in a couple weeks. OK, so you'll have missed it, but I'm going to be presenting at the IMLA conference, the Idaho Middle Level Association Conference next weekend, I'll be presenting this um, at that conference. So I don't know if those videos will be live or um, if they can archive them or whatever. Yeah, if they are, we can share but, them. Um, I, my classroom is open and I would love for teachers, if, if you're a teacher and you have any interest in this at all, I would say um, look up Peter Lildahl's book, Building Thinking Classrooms. It's L-I-L-J-E-D-A-H-L, Lildahl, he's Swedish. Um, And if you get that book and it seems like something you'd like to see happen, definitely shoot me an email here at Syringa and I will set up a time for you to come in and watch. And I promise I won't won't tell you which class is my best class and I'm gonna tell them and threaten them all on their lives (laughs) that they do a good job because that's just not I want you to come in and see mm-hmm. the battle happen because um, it's it's awesome. Yeah, and tell me your email address, Jared. What's your? Um, it's jsliger at 
uh, J is in Jared, and then S-L-I-G-E-R at caldwellschools.org. And we'll have it in our notes, too, so you guys yeah. can have that. Um, I can, you probably can get a link to the book, too, in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put that there. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. cool. Awesome. Um, and yeah. I've, I'm, I keep telling him that I would, uh, that I want to present. Um, I, that's why I got the IMLA conference, because I really want to go talk. I keep telling him, I'll, I'll be your best disciple because he's up in Canada. I'm like, I'll yeah. spread the word in the United States. You let me do this. I'm on it. And awesome. so I've got to go up to Canada this summer to do some training. Um, and then I'm going to get to go present for him, which will be fantastic. That's yeah. great. That's great. So, cool. That's how yeah. exciting. Well, thank you for taking the time to, to chat with us and share with our listeners this really great, inspiring way to teach kids how to love math again. <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. Again, or at all. Yeah. yeah, or at yeah. all. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Jared, you've been great. Hey. We yeah. really Thanks. appreciate you coming on the show. I know you're right in the middle of school. Yeah. Too, during, your break, yeah. during your break period. So, yeah. Yeah. I gave up my lunch for you guys. <laughs> well, thank um, you. No, it, honestly, yeah. If any of you listeners have any questions at all, um, feel free to to shoot me a message and and I'll I'll talk I'll talk you into teaching this way. I promise. <laughs> Love it. I bet you are. All right, Jared, we'll have a great day. Thank you for um, sharing with us, and we will see you soon. Awesome. Thanks, have a Jared. Great day. Thanks, Jared. See you, buddy. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the iHeart2C podcast. Do you know someone or something that we should highlight? Would you like to get the word out about your business? Send us a message at podcast at iheart2c.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at iheart2c. If you like the podcast and are listening on Apple, make sure to leave a review. Until next time, keep it local and keep supporting Canyon County.